Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Graham, one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus, those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus as well, and those who are watching online, we're just glad to have you with us. You know, I love the fact that this church is a, a place of authenticity and transparency. Uh, you know, so the bottom line is I'm just not a real good faker when it comes to certain things, and uh, I preached winter last week, and, and then winter set in, and uh, I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's just been a brutal week. I have never quite seen anything like it. And so honestly, I got like hardly anything in the tank, pretty much no energy, pretty much done when it comes to compassion. And so if anything good's going to come out of this, it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit. That's probably a good place to be. Amen. You know, so I'm going to preach this as best I can. I'm going to pray God breathes life into it at some point and, uh, and we'll trust him with all of the good results. So if you're a praying person, praying now would be awesome. I could use all the help I could get tonight. So, you know, uh, I preach with a manuscript. So if you've ever wondered what's on my, on my deal here, it's, it's uh, six pages, 14 font, Times New Roman. Um, now you can count pages and know when I'm almost done, and that's not cool. So, um, but I just let the cat out of the bag anyway. I write, a, I write out every single word, and I'm going to tell you why. The, the, the dream of every preacher is to preach what we call extemporaneous exegetical, okay? A couple of big fancy words for you. That means you preach without notes, just a Bible, and you prepare so well, you don't need any other help. You just walk up, you open up your Bible, you stand and deliver. The best preachers in the world preach without notes, extemporaneous, exegetical. It's all in their heads, and, and they just kind of open the Bible and let her rip. And to be honest, uh, writing on a manuscript in preaching terms is kind of like riding with training wheels. I mean, that's just the way it is. And uh, that's how they teach you to do it. And, and they hope at some point that you, you know, you're going to grow up and be a big boy and, and your mommy's going to give you permission and eventually you're just going to be able to open up the Bible and, and let her rip and you get to go ride with the big boys. And, and so let me explain to you why I ride with training wheels every single week. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to preach in a chapel service. I was a young arrogant, cocky young man. And so I made up my mind that I was going to go for the Holy Grail and preach in chapel extemporaneous and exegetical. I prepared like crazy because the reality was I wanted to impress my professor. I wanted to impress my classmates. I wanted to show a whole group of people that, that God could use my mouth and that it was going to be a really, really, really big deal. And so I, I prepared myself as best I could. I preached my brains out and I was thinking as I was going along, this is really, really, really good. In fact, I thought it was so good, I wanted to sit down and take notes on myself. I mean, I was just <laughs> letting her rip. And, and when I was finished, I walked off the stage and people actually stood and clapped. And I was basking in the glow of rightly dividing the word of truth. And I stood at the back and people were complimenting me as they were walking past. And, and then my professor, my homiletics professor, the guy who taught me how to preach, he comes walking by and, and he says, you know, Grant, can I talk to you for a minute? And so we stepped off to the side and, and I prepared myself for it. And he said, you know, Grant, that was textbook. That was borderline flawless. And at this point I'm thinking... Thou, this was good. He said it was also the most ego-driven thing I have ever seen. It was all about you and not about Jesus. And right now, I'm embarrassed to call you my student. He said, I would recommend that you go back to writing out a manuscript, which was a nice way of saying you need to go put your training wheels back on until you learn 
that this is never, ever about you. I've been writing out a manuscript ever since. The reality is I was doing a very right thing. And it's preaching the Holy Word of God, but I, the truth was I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I wasn't doing it to make Jesus famous. I wanted, I wanted someone to think that I was doing a good job. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And, and I think we all find ourselves doing that at some point. I mean, if you ever find yourself giving something so that you get something in return, you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Because the Bible says it is more blessed to give, but it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. If... Uh, if you've ever given a compliment so you get one in return, you got the first part right, you did the right thing, but you did it for the wrong reason. I mean, if you walk up to somebody and go, that is a really, really nice shirt you're wearing. <laughs> the right thing for the wrong reason, right? When you serve at Christ the King, that's a very, very good thing. It's the right thing. But if you do it out of guilt or you do it out of compulsion, or because I shamed you into doing it, then you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. In Isaiah 58, a group of people are not doing the right thing for the wrong, or they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. They're fasting, but it's not working. Let me define fasting so we know what it is that we're talking about. Fasting is the spiritual discipline of going without food for the sake of prayer, focused on spiritual breakthrough. Okay? So when you fast, you don't eat, you deprive yourself of food, and you use the time that normally you'd be spending eating to pray specifically or fervently for an issue or for a request. You make yourself weak on purpose so that you can hear God loud and clear. Now, just to be clear, okay? If you just don't eat, that's not fasting, that's a bad diet, okay? You have to put the two together. It's about not eating and praying and listening to God so you have a spiritual breakthrough. In Isaiah 58, God talks to a group of people who are fasting for the wrong reason. I'm going to read you the whole first part of Isaiah chapter 58 because I'm not super confident about tonight. If I just read you the word, at least I know that's not going to come back empty, okay? I'm going to read Isaiah 58. I'm going to ask you to take your pencil or pen if you got it and as you walk through the outline with me, and I want you to underline the word seem as we walk through it, okay? There's only two of them, but you've got to pay attention as they're coming, all right? Here it comes. The Bible says, talking to the prophet Isaiah, shout aloud, don't hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves? You haven't noticed. Yet on your day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen only for a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Let me just kind of modernize this whole thing. God calls these guys out. He says, you seem like you want to hear me, but it doesn't add, out, add up. And let me tell you why. Because you do the spiritual discipline called fasting, but as soon as you go back to the office, you treat your employees like garbage. It doesn't go together. He says, you, you seem to want to hear from me, but you're depriving yourself of food, and you end up in a fist fight in a food line. 
It doesn't make any sense. You guys end up quarreling and fighting over the fact that you're not eating. This is not adding up. It's not working. God says it very clear. Let me modernize it just a little bit more. You know, you go to church, but you're hungover from last night. It doesn't go together, all right? You call yourself a Christian, but you live like a heathen. You talk a big game about love, joy, and peace, but the reality is, you know, it's hate, sadness, and, and instead of patience, you're, you're just chaos in a hurry, you know? It's just not working. There's an assumption that's implied here, and the assumption is this, that godly discipline should bring about a godly outcome. Like, you would think that would be the way it works, right? A good thing like fasting is supposed to bring about a godly hearing. It's supposed to bring about a wise answer. Not a hockey game where a fight breaks out. I mean, let's make sure we get this next point, okay? It's based on the assumption, and this is really the issue. Spiritual discipline with the wrong motivation, it's beneficial, but it's not optimal. Let me explain that, okay? Reading your Bible, even when you don't get anything out of it, it's still beneficial, but it's not optimal, okay? Coming to church when you don't feel like it, it's still beneficial. I mean, I think 90% of this Christian journey is showing up. You know, people ask me about 12 steps. How do you make that whole thing work for you? Keep showing up. Just get all the way through. Just keep showing up. You know, when you're serving, when you're tired and you want to quit, it's still beneficial for us to be able to do that. You know, some weeks, like this week, I don't feel like preaching, but the reality is it's still good for me. Because while I'm preaching to you, don't ever mistake it. God's always preaching to me first, okay? Good thing. It's beneficial when we're doing it as a discipline, but it's not optimal. And you know the difference. I mean, you know the difference of how worship touches you when you walk in the door like this. Come on, God, do your thing. Impress me. Woohoo! Came to church again. You know the difference between that and when you come hungry. When you come hungry, waiting and expected to hear from God, it just opens up an entirely different level, does it not? I mean, you come in and you could just show up and go through the motions. It's beneficial, but if you want it to be optimal, it's about coming with the right heart and doing the right thing for the right reason. When your motivation is pure, I'll tell you what, it makes an eternal difference. Jesus ran into the same issue that God's addressing in Isaiah 58 back in Matthew chapter 8. Let's see, there's another example here. I'm going to rehash this verse um, because we find another group of people doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees and he's busting them about the fact that they're fasting. They're actually doing this spiritual discipline, but, but they're doing it and acting in such a way that it's bringing attention to themselves. He actually says this, so you're fasting and what you're doing is you're staggering around the marketplace, making your lips go like this. So you look really, really hungry. And the reason you're, you're doing all of this is so somebody comes up and says, you know, are you okay? Oh yeah, I'm okay. Just really exhausting from all of this holy spiritual work I'm doing. I mean, I'm just so tired of this whole fasting thing. I'm so weak. Because guess how many days I've been at it for? One whole day. You know? They're just trying to get somebody to ask them the question. And God's just like, no, 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 no. That shouldn't be the motivation of fasting. In fact, God says you need to straighten up, throw a little oil on your face so you look a little healthier than you are at that particular moment. And the only person who's supposed to know you're actually doing that discipline is God. You're supposed to be walking around with a sign go, watch me, I'm fasting. That's not the point. Later on in Matthew, Jesus addresses 
the same kind of disconnect. This is what we find, uh, or that we find in Isaiah when he says this in Matthew 23. He's talking to the Pharisees again. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You practice the latter without neglecting, or you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's just saying this, you guys are doing, you're doing the right things, but you're doing them for the wrong reason. I mean, tithing, that's awesome. But you forgot about love and mercy and patience. Jesus is saying to them, you're living by the letter of the law, you're completely missing the spirit of the law. And it really kind of drives the question of why it is we do anything under the banner of spiritual disciplines. It's driven by the question, why? So let me just ask some questions. Why do you serve at Christ the King? Do you do it because Jesus served and just, you get joy out of it? Why are you here? Are you here because you came to worship Almighty God or to get your spouse off your back? I mean, seriously. Did you come to worship Almighty God or just to try and make yourself feel a little better as you're walking through a tough week? I mean, are, are you serving as Jesus served or are you just here punching a religious time clock? And these are difficult questions because they're somewhat convicting as you walk through them, okay? Let's go back to Isaiah. So God continues to speak to this group of people and he points out where they missed it. All he's saying is this, you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. If I can get the right thing and the right reason lining up, this is going to be amazing. He goes on and says this, is, this not the, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share food with the hungry? Provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. I mean, God's saying, look, I appreciate the fact that you're depriving yourself of food, but the, the reality is you're neglecting the fact that you've got starving people all around you. You're not making the connection that I've placed right in front of you. I think we fall into this same category all of the time. It's kind of like this. We sit in our houses and get on our faces and pray like crazy that God will raise somebody up to come and tell our neighbor about Jesus. Lord, send somebody. Send a missionary. They're right next door, God. They need to hear about Jesus. Lord, please send someone to tell them. God, they're your neighbor. Be the answer to your own prayer. You're only a driveway away, right? Oh, Jesus, please send somebody. You, right? It's the disconnect. I came to a startling realization the other day. I've really been thinking about this as I'm looking at my own prayer list and fasting. I was praying and I, and I, I came to this startling realization. I realized that the whole list of things I was praying about primarily revolved around me. In fact, on Tuesday, if you needed prayer, sorry. If your last name wasn't Fishbook, I did not cover you, you know? I hope somebody else was praying for you, but pretty, pretty much, I mean, I'm sitting in my office going over my prayer list, and the Holy Spirit came and tapped on the corner of my heart and basically asked me a question. If I actually said yes to every single one of these prayer requests, who would be better off other than you? Ouch. 
you know, I kind of went through my list again. And I started looking at something. I realized, man, my prayers were small. And this was horrifying for me. They were mostly based on personal protection. I was, every time I, I'm praying, safe this, safe this, protect this. Okay, now, I hope, you, I hope I get this right. I hope this is making some sense. I really do. Okay, I'm not saying to not pray this next little prayer I'm going to talk about here for a second. But how many of you, when you get ready to go somewhere, pray for a safe trip? Yeah, lots of us, right? We pray for a safe trip. So here's my question that I ask myself, and I'm just going to share the pain with you, okay? How much courage does it take to pray a prayer that you're three-quarters of the way to answering simply by driving the speed limit and putting on a safety belt? Right? I mean, I'm praying that prayer, and I'm just sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't think God sits up in heaven when Grant prays for traveling mercies for the Fishbook family and goes, I don't know, that looks like a really big one right there. I drive a car with airbags. I mean, it just, am I the only one that thinks this way about this guy? I mean, just like, what in the deal? I mean, the answer to my prayer, the answer to 90% of my prayers praying for personal safety was put on a helmet, you know? That's where I was coming from. This became an entire sermon series. You're going to get it this fall, okay? I ended up in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, because here was my conviction. If I'd been in the first century church, if it was up to me, when they were praying prayers and not being safe, instead being bold, if it was up to me, the first century church never would have made it out of the upper room. Because I would have been hiding in the corner going, Jesus, just keep me safe, just keep me safe. I don't want to hurt anybody. Help me wrap me in bubble wrap. I'm really, really scared. Just have everybody leave me alone. I'm not saying don't pray that prayer. I'm saying this. When was the last time you prayed something big, bold, and inconvenient? When was the last time you fasted about something that actually made you sweat? When was the last time you left on vacation and said, God, break down my van? If it means sharing Jesus with a tow truck driver, Break down this van, interrupt the day, cancel the hotel reservations, whatever it takes for the gospel to go out, you be willing to, I'm willing to do it, God, whatever it is, because I refuse to pray safe anymore. I'm not going to do the right thing for the wrong reason. I'm going to do the right thing for the right reason. I'm going to pray passionately, big, scary, because I'm no longer interested in being safe. I want to be bold. What if you prayed, God, interrupt my day with opportunities to break oppression, devastate injustice, and set a captive free? Okay, that doesn't mean you're going to break into Whatcom County Jail, okay? All right? God, what if you gave me an opportunity to give away my lunch, my shirt? I mean, what if you did exceedingly abundantly above I could ask or imagine? What if I actually believed you were a big enough God to deliver on big, bold prayers that even made me sweat and shake and tremble in fear? So here's the challenge, all right? It's aligning my heart with the heart of God. So I, I, I submitted my little safe prayer list on Tuesday, and I picked up a different one on Wednesday that sounded something like this. God, get me in alignment with you. If it breaks your heart, may it break mine. God, break me out of this religious rut that I've been in that causes my prayers to get small and rote and boring and break me loose in a passion that dares to pray dangerous prayers. Prayers that make me lose my appetite and put me at risk instead of playing it safe and always asking for your protection. I mean, we learned this last week. 
This was one of the principles. Be careful what you ask for because God might actually say yes. Just praying that prayer is not for the weak of heart. To invite God to divinely interrupt you. I started praying God's word from Isaiah 58, trying to get my, my heart in alignment with God's heart, and I was amazed how many situations God put me in where I had to address an injustice or just simply meet a need. During the relationship series, I drew a pretty bold line, and I knew I was going to pay for it. Anytime in the Pacific Northwest, you define God's ideal as the heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime, you might as well paint a bullseye right in the center of your head. And I knew what I was getting myself into, and I prayed just a little bit at that point for just a tiny little smidgen of boldness. You know what has been amazing to me is the number of doors that God has opened for me to be able to minister in a conversation with somebody and share grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. And that was just one tiny little insignificant prayer, and I didn't even get to this stuff yet. What if you prayed bold for the rest of the summer? What if it was no longer, God, keep me safe? What if it was, God, put me wherever, whenever, with whomever, however, because you died for me, how could I do anything less for you? Can I get an amen anywhere in Bellingham? Ferndale, all right? God starts painting a picture. A lot of people get to the second half of Isaiah 58. We don't often talk about the first half. So remember, God's talking to a group of people. You got the right thing, just for the wrong reason. We're going to get these things in alignment. And then God paints a picture for us of the result. What happens when I align my heart with the heart of God, okay? So in the first half, I asked you to underline the word seem. There were just two of them. We seem to want to go this direction, but they're stuck. The reason they're stuck, right thing, wrong reason. Then God says, this is what will happen if you get the right thing for the right reason. Okay? As we walk through this last section, every time you hear the word will, I want you to underline it because it's a promise from God. Okay? So if you're willing to pray bold, ask God for big things, ask God for huge, gigantic, miraculous intervention, if you're willing to go there and even fast about it, deprive yourself of something in order to get that and break through at that level, here's what God promises will happen. Ready? Here it comes. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Let me define that last little phrase for you. If you're willing to do this, God will watch your back. That's protection. If you're willing to go bold, he's got you covered. That's the safest place you could ever be. All right? This is then it says, then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the finger pointing and the malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see how many wills are in there? I mean, there's a boatload. God is saying this to his people. If you will do the right thing for the right reason, that's what's waiting for you. Let me just rephrase the whole thing. God says, here's my promises. If you can get your practice to line up with a pure heart, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to make your life shine. I will heal you quickly. I'll allow your reputation of righteousness to grow. I will protect you. I'll answer you when you call. I'll tell you that I'm close. If you spend yourself meeting the needs of people who are hungry, I'll make you shine in the darkness. I'll turn your night into daytime, your winter into spring. I'll always guide your ways. I'll take care of all your needs, give you the strength to carry on. I'll allow you to flourish like a well-watered garden that feeds others. And I'll allow you to reclaim broken territory, broken cities, and graffiti-covered neighborhoods and alleyways. Can you tell where we're going with this one? God says, if you obey my Sabbath, that's just one of them. If you just set aside a day to rest and focus on me and not do your own thing the way you want to, I will pour into you answers like you have never experienced before. The Lord says in Isaiah 29 to another group of people these words. He says, These people come to me near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules that are taught by men. Some of you are wondering, what's the point? I sort of am too. Isaiah 58 says this to those of us who would call ourselves followers of the Most High God. No more lip service. No more not practicing what we preach. We will decide as the people of God that we will do the right thing for the right reason so we can never be described as they were in Isaiah 29 as a group of people who come near with our mouth and honor him with our lips, but in reality, our hearts are far from him. Let me give you some very practical ways to put this into practice. Number one, We're doing something next Saturday that's open to people at both campuses, at Ferndale and at Bellingham. It's a season of service opportunity. We, I did not know about the season of service opportunity. I I mean, that's been planned for way, way, way back. I didn't know God was going to go this direction this weekend. So, you know, if you think it's cool that these things line up like this, give glory to Jesus. He's the mastermind. I don't know anything, okay? But the Bible says we've got an actual opportunity here next Saturday from 9 to 3, six hours to do the right thing for the right reason. We have an opportunity to go out and help clean up a section of the city that God has placed our church in providentially. We get an opportunity to be Jesus with a paint roller. 
We have had, all of a sudden, just at first the business community was kind of like, I don't know about this whole thing. In the last week, Pastor Denny Starbuck told me the doors have just kind of opened wide up. We have so many opportunities, and what we need is a couple hundred people who want to do the right thing for the right reason, okay? The right thing is to go and paint over some graffiti, clean underneath the bridges, because the city can't afford to get it done right now. The, 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 the wrong reason would be, say, I'm going to give up an hour, you know, six hours, because if I walk down alleys enough, God might throw me a $100 bill underneath of a garbage can. That would be the right thing for the wrong reason. If we do the right thing, then the right reason would be, I think that's what Jesus would do. I think he would be the kind of person who would paint the back of somebody's business that they'd never met before, and when they came out and asked why, they just smiled at him and said, because Jesus told you to. God bless you. May God bless your business, and thank you for being a part of the city. We're the people of God. We love you. And if, if you ever need a place that's a safe place where you can come and find God, we'll be there. And by the way, my name is Grant. Thanks for letting me have this opportunity. That'd be the right thing for the right reason, okay? So I'm not putting any pressure on you. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you can't do it for the right reason, don't do it at all. But if God's knocking on your heart right now and say, you could give up six hours on a Saturday, that'd probably be a great investment for you. You can go to the connection point right afterwards. You could sign up in Ferndale. That'd be great. Number two, you could fast and meet a need where God has placed you. I believe we've lost the flavor of fasting. We just don't talk about it very much. So maybe this week, here's my challenge. Skip lunch one day and spend that time on your knees. And pray bold prayers. Not prayers that can be answered with God saying, just put on a helmet, you'll be fine. Pray bold prayers that will stretch you and cause God to be God. Okay? John Wesley had this amazing quote. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. That's the life of a follower of God. And thirdly, if you haven't gotten the point already, and I hope you have, when you're faced with situations this week, do the right thing for the right reason. And let me tell you why. John 13, 35 says this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, that was not extemporaneous. That was not exegetical. In my estimation, that wasn't even very good if you're looking for great quality preaching. But what I can tell you is this. The heart of God for his people is that we would understand the power that can be unleashed in this community if we will simply do the right thing for the right reason. That's all I got. Let's pray. Okay. God, I pray that our motivation would be pure. I pray that we would know 
that we are so protected by you. That if anybody in the world could play it a little unsafe for the sake of spreading the gospel, it would be us. Father, I pray that for some of us, a first step this week would be to fast and maybe to spend that time praying for those unsaved kids of ours. To become weak so that you could show yourself strong. Father, I pray next Saturday from 9 to 3 that the glory of Jesus Christ would shine in Bellingham like it never has simply because a group of people with work gloves, paint rollers, and plastic bags cared enough to go and clean something. Lord Jesus, I pray that, 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 that some of us would just simply do the right thing. Lord, some of us have been praying for our neighbor for a really, really long time. I pray this week we'd have the bold courage to actually speak to them across the fence. And to speak the name of Jesus. Even if it just starts with a simple, God bless you. Father, we want our heart to line up with our action. Would you forgive us like the people in Isaiah 58 for the moments when we chose not to do that? And may this day be a defining day that sends us in a completely different direction. May we be known as a church that loves and serves that simply does the right thing for the right reason. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray and all God's people said,